to another episode of Two Dudes in a Cage, Fighter Spotlight. Today we have Roxanne Monteferi. Roxanne is a pioneer of women's mixed martial arts. She has been fighting since 2003 professionally and has 50 professional fights. She is a BJJ black belt, a brown belt in judo, and she has fought for organizations like the Strike Force and the UFC. Uh, man, she is gonna go down as a pioneer for women's MMA and MMA history. Uh, Roxanne, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you just want to start by telling us a little bit about yourself, get, getting yourself introduced, and uh, welcome to the fans? Sure. Uh, I was, you know, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, a happy middle class family. You know, I did sports as a kid, loved anime and wanted to learn Japanese for a career. So I studied Japanese language and literature in college, and I moved to Japan and got a job in Japan after college. Wow, that's, that's amazing. So you've been all over uh, Japan. I bet that was crazy living there. Uh, really cool. I've always wanted to go to Japan. I don't know about living there. It's probably two totally different things. But, uh, it is. It was awesome, though. I first went on a student exchange program, so I was shown the ropes of society by my host mother, so to speak. And uh, then when I moved back for my job, I kind of knew my way around and I knew what to do and what to expect. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. That's awesome. So, so, so go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, um, while you were in school there, were you training martial arts there as well? or? Yes. I started jujitsu. In a, as a freshman in college. So when I moved to Japan, I had already decided on the goal of doing MMA. And when I found a new gym, you know, I went to Japan, I found a, a gym that had jujitsu, kickboxing, uh, a famous shuto fighter was out of this specific gym. So I told the head sensei that I wanted to fight and he got me my fight, my first fight. That's really cool. So do you want to uh, just talk about what it was like living and training in Japan? Um, was a, uh, it sounds like you uh, you had a really easy time transitioning. So did a lot of people speak English there or was there a, a major communication barrier like in your training and then just regular trying to go out and get something to eat uh, or, or was it relatively easy? Oh, good question. When I first went there on exchange, my Japanese was still not great. You know, I had taken two years of intensive classes, but you know, I, half the time I didn't know what anyone was talking about but people were very nice. You know, I was still a college kid, so the adults kind of took me under their wings and helped me out. So it was a bit more of a challenge when I first went there, of course, than when I had graduated. By that time, I had taken a full four years, and then I was able to talk my way out of a paper bag, so to speak. So if I couldn't understand a word, I could like ask around the word in more simple Japanese and figure out what they were talking about. So. Um, I was able to understand better, although there was a language barrier. And I, there was one thing, like when I first went to Japan, I ran into more of a situations where um, men didn't want to hit me or train with me because I was a woman, which, you know, at first I was really mad about it. I was like, I'm a girl, you got to fight me too, because I didn't really run into that in America. Everyone just kind of hit me normally. <laughs> um, but then I thought, okay, let's be sensitive to this. Like, of course, guys probably wouldn't want to hit a girl, especially from Japan where girls really don't train and they're more like, you know, the early 1900s, like the housewife, like they don't do sports and stuff. So let's, let's not get too mad. But I remember like one time um, 
I met this one guy, I think it was Shu Inagaki. He was one of my, well, he has become a friend. And I was like, hit me harder, harder, harder. And like that really stuck with him. And it was like a really big funny point for him. But anyway, now I don't, I, I didn't have any problems with that after I moved back. It's interesting that you brought up um, that you had, at, it was a change for men not wanting to like strike and roll with you because I literally just read an article for us. The hobby has that same, uh, his preference is he will not roll with females just because he had experience of a student. So it's interesting that you brought that up and how... And I think that's reasonable too. Like, mm-hmm. you know... If it's a preference. Guy I mean, a guy can't really be challenged too much by a girl anyway unless they're the same size. So, and there's, you know, I understand. Yeah, yeah, especially at the instructor level. Like, what is a black belt really going to get with rolling out of a lower level student or, or something along those lines? Right. I mean, they're going to help them, teach them. That that's the goal. Yeah, yeah really. right, right. Okay, good point. So, with moving to Japan, um, wanting to like study the language, was that because of your love of anime, or did the anime come after, and you just, like, what got you into wanting to study the Japanese language? So, I always thought it was really cool to be bilingual, and to have two completely different sets of lingua, and be able to speak two languages, and then when I watched anime, I just loved the way Japanese sounded. I thought it sounded cool. Like, I just thought it was such a cool, like, flow, and I loved the sounds, you know, I appreciated it as, like, an art. So, um, I chose, and, and then I wanted to know what they were saying in Japanese when I watched the anime, so it was kind of like a hobby that I decided to turn into a career, which was kind of naive because you kind of have to be bilingual like raised natively in order to get like a un job or like a super high translation high level paying translation job which is what i wanted so i kind of got to experience japanese as a tool to do other things rather than use it as, as a career but it still worked out so with that what's your favorite anime I have my top three, Naruto, Dragon Ball Z, and One Piece. One Piece is a newer one, right? Not really. No? <laughs> like 2003 or something. Oh, okay. I first started watching it in college, and I've been watching it for like, whatever, 18 years or something ridiculous. It's still going. Nar- <laughs> it's newer than Dragon Ball Z. Okay, yeah, Naruto and My Hero are the two, and Sailor Moon are the three big ones in my... <laughs> in my household. Okay. Oh, Sailor Moon! I haven't heard that one for a while. Yeah, yeah. my my niece loves Sailor Moon, and they're starting to get into Attack of the Titans. Ooh, that one's pretty gory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope they're old enough. <laughs> yeah, they're thirteen, so. Okay. Okay. The eight-year-old hasn't discovered Attack of the Titans yet. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I like close my eyes. Do you like Love, Death, and Robots? I'm not too far into anime, but I have watched that. No, is it good? Uh, I like it. They're they're real short stories, and they're all different. But the animation is really cool. I I think so. Uh, and they're all they all have like different style of animation to them. Oh, too. okay. Uh, you know, I think for like a regular person who's not really super into anime, they're really cool for me so i'm gonna write that down and then watch it later they just came uh, out i keep with forgetting someone else uh, maybe you recommended that to me and i, I totally forgot 
robots. I like I like it. It's, it, it's cool. It's cool stuff. But I don't know oh, if man. it's like typical anime or not. I don't think it really is though in the sense, but it's cool. The, the stories are really cool. I like it. That might be nice to watch when I'm about to fall asleep, but I need like something else. Sometimes like my brain yep. So, you just recently retired. Was it really hard for you to come to that decision to retire? Yes, and no. So, a couple years ago, I kept getting a lot of questions because I was getting older, you know? And I think I was almost, they're like, oh, if you win another fight, you'll fight for the title. And then I lost, they're like, oh. <laughs> like, they meaning fans. So I kept getting questions. I was like, you know, I don't wanna talk about retirement. I don't wanna talk about it. Like, I'll think about it when the time comes. And then I started getting headaches in the gym after sparring practice. Oh, yeah. I was like, okay, crap. Like I made myself a promise many years ago that if I ever started having like concussion symptoms, I would quit. And um, uh, it used to be like a couple people hit me too hard, so I avoided them. But then like people who I trusted who didn't try to hit me too hard kind of like start, I still got headaches I was like all right that means it's everybody so I decided to like do one more fight and then retire so it was pretty easy once I realized that was what was happening like my brain was just worn out you know and not as sturdy so but I I'm glad to report that I've made it out with all my brain cells you know any symptoms I had were light I did some research and it was all like super light you know I never had any light sensitivity I never lost memories or anything like that I still have my cognitive function, so I made it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I made it. That's good. That's good to hear. It's good to to know when when to hang up the gloves, per se, instead of you know having to deal with those things later in life. So I think that's really smart. It's unfortunate, but it's really smart too. So and I I think other. I'm oh, sorry to interrupt you. I think oh, okay. uh, all fighters should be educated about it. You know, I was very close-minded in the beginning, like. My dad sent me newspaper clippings in the mail. I was like, oh, a letter from my father, how wonderful. I open it up, it's about a boxer who's like having trouble with CT. I'm like, dad, I'm not a boxer. And he's like, but still. So I was like, all right, my dad's an intelligent man, let me read the article. But I think through that annoying like parental pressure, it made me like aware. And that's why I made the promise to myself. Like, okay, I promise that, you know, that. So I think that all boxers and anyone who gets head, head trauma should be aware at least these are the symptoms this is what you have to be careful for don't necessarily tell them to stop but you know educate them so that they know what to look for so, so i'm glad you brought up cte because you know it's a very not new but beginning stages of knowing what it is what do you think for a fighter standpoint the risk of cte is I haven't actually done a ton of research on it, so I don't know if I can speak intelligently on it. I just know that I wanted to stop before I got any minor symptoms, and I think those would be more major ones, so I, I don't, I'm not sure I can speak intelligently on it. It's good that you had, you know, you made yourself a promise, if I start getting these symptoms, I'm going to stop, because a lot of fighters are, you know, like Tito Ortiz still wants to fight. Mike Tyson's getting back into fighting, and I'm not saying you know way high level more than me, but it's good that fighters are starting to get a sense of my brain is important. I need it the rest of my life. Yeah, I think Felice 
just Felicia Spencer retired due to that, due to like being aware of that and worried about that. Mm-hmm. And then another girl, Brianna, somebody who fought my best friend a while ago, she retired before she even went pro because she said she was having trouble. So like, it happens to people even before they go pro, just that, you know. That's crazy to think about. Before your career even starts, you can't, yeah, you have to quit just because your body can't take it. That would suck. I don't think the brain heals like that, you know, like you break your arm and it heals, but your brain, like, we don't know about it very well. You know? Right, yeah, yeah, that, that's way over my head for sure. So, yeah, there's a ton of information there, I'm sure, to, to digest. But yeah, uh, so yeah, I, didn't, I guess I didn't realize, right, your brain doesn't heal properly when you smash it in, and that's why, like, like your chin or whatever, I don't know if it's the same thing. Like you, We can't predict how long it's going to take. Like, for me, when I got knocked out by a slam, like two actually, um, I was able to take, like, a couple weeks off from all tra- all training, and then I started doing grappling again for, like, a month only, like, no strikes, and it was fine. That was, like, a month or less, right? But then one of my training partners got knocked out in a, in a in the gym by a not nice training partner, and he, like, couldn't train for months at all, and then just got back into training at all, like, multiple months later, so you just don't know how long it's going to take. So it's it's pretty serious then yeah yeah so yeah we uh we all saw your article uh um it was a mixed article about multiple things but in it you talked about uh at MMA about them wearing headgear and how you appreciate um them taking care of the fighters there and, uh, uh, I, I see why now uh, it's definitely important it's definitely something they 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 talk about a lot fighter safety and and having a longer career just by wearing headgear and protecting yourself yeah so uh outside of like fighting what is the weirdest thing a fan has asked you to sign i haven't really gotten any weird ones um i've signed backpacks and i signed the shirt on somebody's back once that was really cool he was like sign my shoulders cool that's when you know you made it (laughs) yeah i know exactly i mean yeah it's excited that was that was about it though it's a, no, no, sign my sign my body requests. <laughs> I've never gotten a sign my boobs request. Thank goodness. <laughs> you never know. A lot of gloves. Oh, I've gotten um, I've got excuse me, I've gotten mail, fan mail from fans. Can you sign my trading card? And I look at it, and it's me. And I'm like, what? I have a trading card. Like, since when did I have a trading card? So I actually found out about all of the trading cards of me from fans asking me to sign them. And I'm like, why can't I be sent? a trading card and a couple of them actually sent me an extra one they're like oh this one's for you Roxanne you can keep this one and I was like thank you it's so nice of you I have my own trading card so yeah it's definitely <laughs> something I would frame or put up somewhere and yeah. like, every time someone comes over be like hey that's me <laughs> this is me and this is me again and this is yeah. me the third time yeah that was, that was would, a cool reply Man, so so being a woman in MMA is hard. It's hard to make a career for a, a woman athlete. Uh, they don't get the same amount of respect a, as a man typically does. Um, what are some of the things that you've had to overcome being a woman in the sport uh, um, just so you could make your career happen? I would say two main things. Uh, one is, I don't know, it's like an infinity loop that's it's kind of like, 
opposite each other. So since I was a woman, since I'm a woman, there are fewer women, so there are less opportunities to fight. On the other hand, there are fewer women, so if there's a fight, I get called. Does that make sense? Yeah, so like, sure, sure. A lot of the time I'm like, oh, please, somebody give me a fight. Like, I want to fight. So I'm like, man, I'm just sitting here. I wish I had a fight. But on the other hand, I think because I was a woman, I am a woman, sorry. <laughs> um, I have, I had a lot more opportunities, you know, even though my, for example, my striking wasn't as good as some other people's, but my grappling was good. So I was winning my fights. So I got more opportunities to fight. Um, so that was, that's been a challenge. And um I think, I mean, my training partners have been pretty good. Just small person issues where, you know, big guys hit hard. But other than that, it's been pretty good. Everyone's treated me with respect. Um, I I feel like I was, I'm very down to earth and I just go and I train and I wear like shorts over shorts and then t-shirts over rash guards. So I'm never like flaunting my female charms and like people don't hit on me and like, no, none of that. Like, I don't have to worry about any of that. So that was that was nice. <laughs> I've never had any of those issues. That's good. That's good. So you've been in many organizations uh, while fighting. What's, what's your experience like, the differences of the regional circuit and the professional circuit? Um, what are the differences like? All promoters tried really hard to put on a good show and be good to their fighters. I think depending on the money, it varied. So like smaller regional shows didn't have as much money. So there was there were smaller venues and like one time for Fusion Fight League, they didn't give us a bucket or a towel. So I had to like run through the event and like look for some rag just to have a towel. But that's not their fault, you know? Like and then Invicta they provided all that or UFC provided UFC, man, they had, like, our uniforms folded in this pile on a chair with a name tag on the chair and, like, snacks and all that jazz. So that was – but that's because they could do that because they had the money. Um, Japan also was – like, the smaller shows were kind of – man, I remember warming up in a cold hallway, like, in a shed outside the venue, but that's because there's a small venue. What are they going to do? Like, so, you know, I understand, but it's just the, depending on the, the money, basically, is – how much they were off, able to offer us. But I'm grateful for, I was grateful for any opportunity I had to fight. We made it work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta do what you can. Those are still, those are still really cool stories and I, I bet you have a lot of great memories uh, just revolved around fighting, traveling and fighting and mm-hmm. the things you did because of it. It's just, it's, it's really cool and it's amazing to me, so. Indeed. So, now that you are retired from MMA, will you still do like uh, grappling tournaments like uh, Eddie Bravo's or Submission Underground or any type of grappling tournament? Yes, I would like to do that very much. I actually, uh, I think I might be fighting in the Fight Pass Invitational on July 3rd, I think. We're kind of talking about it, so I'm trying to prepare for that. So I'm excited. Nice. So what, what advice do you have for uh, women or anybody who wants to get into MMA and fighting? I would say do what you love. Do it because you love it. And find a good team that makes you happy and that's supportive. So with that, uh, how long do you think 
it would be good for someone that does want to get in fighting. How long do you think they should train first before they t- accept their first fight? I almost feel like people who decide they want to fight and then go to the gym don't last very long because they think it looks cool and then they find out the training is really, really hard and then they kind of fall off. But then I feel like people who go in either to lose weight or for a hobby or maybe they're a little interested and then they get hooked, they just love training, you know? So I think that you have to fall in love with training first before the fighting. And, um, man, I would, I mean, when I coached kids, I wanted them to have three stripes on their white belt before they competed. That's because it took a while for them to build muscle memory of falling properly. So if they got thrown over their head, they tuck their chin and do a break fall. And I feel like if you don't have a lot of practice doing that, you might like put your arm out and break it or like hit your head or something. Um, And it usually took them like seven months to get three stripes on their white belt from me. I'm hard strict sensei, but um, I I think like being at least a blue belt in jujitsu would be good. So you kind of know what you're doing, but um, I don't know. I guess it depends on everyone. So at least a year or more. (laughs) So let's see, I did judo for three years, jujitsu for one year and kickboxing for like four years simultaneously. So let's see. 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. I trained for five years before I fought. Wow. That's yeah. But then I, my, in my debut fight, I went and I armbarred the girl in like one minute. So, <laughs> so it paid off. Yeah. But, you know, I was just me co- going to college and then going to class at night. So if you like commit more time, you know, maybe you can get better faster. Was it hard to balance your studies and your training when you first started? Mm-hmm. No, because I have super good time management skills. <laughs> Probably the best out of anybody I know. But, you know, for a lo- yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's, a lot of people don't understand how much time can be lost by not having a ske- set schedule. And I didn't do anything else. I didn't go drinking with my friends. I, I woke up, you know, went for a jog, studied, went to class, came home, trained, you know, maybe went to the anime club for half an hour and then <laughs> trained again. All right. hey, looks like it paid off though. You know, you, you've had a career that most people will never have. So you had to sacrifice a little for it. I'm sure. Yeah. So everybody wants to know you're the happy warrior. How do you stay happy all of the time? Well, hang on. Don't move. I'll be right back. Uh, I know it. You're going to get a puck, aren't you? Yes. A puck? Oh, yeah. It's got two of them, and one on the way, right? You would know better than me, it looks like. I read her article. My mama taught me a lot about positivity, and so I wrote this book called How to Be Positive, and in the, the ten chapters that I made in the book are the principles that I try to live by. I don't know. Is it backwards on your screen? or nope. No, that's okay. good. Our conscious thoughts affect our emotions. A sliver of moonlight, you can still see. So finding a positive, like the light at the silver lining. Being grateful, focus on the silver lining. Don't reinforce negativity, smile and carry on. Do the most you can in your situation, set goals. Be excited about everything. Try to understand other people, 
rules for behavior, readjust your expectations. So I, so I have various examples for all of them here, and then like I help people train their minds to think more positively. For example, uh, let's see, try to understand other people. So I'm driving down the street and somebody cuts me off. And, I'm like, and a lot of people be like, oh, you jerk. Uh. Right. Yeah. And I think, oh my gosh, that was close. We almost died. I'm really glad that we didn't die, first of all. Man, I hope he's okay. He probably wouldn't be driving, he or she probably wouldn't be driving like a maniac if there wasn't something wrong. Maybe somebody's, you know, maybe somebody's dying in a hospital and, and they have to get to them. So man, I really hope that that fellow's okay. Good luck, I hope you make it to your destination. So just by like, thinking of that possibility, I'm not mad anymore. I'm just kind of like wishing him well, him or her well. So kind of, if you just change your mindset, you know, you can make yourself yeah. more positive. So, a lot of fighters, uh, you know, talk about visualization, like the law of attraction, um, always being positive, being grateful. Do you and your happiness align with those thoughts as well, like with the law of attraction? Like, you put out positive vibes, you get positive things? I think so. And I think it's less of a mystical force and more of you make little decisions throughout your day that lead you somewhere. So if I'm 100% focused on fighting, maybe I won't have that cookie or maybe I'll go to bed like half an hour earlier because I want to be training better for the next day or you know, maybe I'll not deal with a stressful situation right before training or I'll like make little decisions that will lead me to my goal, you know? So I think that's what a lot of people are doing. So when they're super focused on one thing, um, or they think about it a lot, they're like trying to be like, I'm thinking about it, but actually they're actually making a little tiny decisions that they don't realize to lead them to that goal. So I, I believe in that. Love it. Hey, if you need a sports psychologist, hit up Roxanne. <laughs> she got you. Book. <laughs> Sounds like there's a lot of good stuff in there that can help change your mindset, change your mentality. Like, like seriously. So if someone, if someone wants to get one of your books, how do they, where do they go to find it? My website, which is my name, RoxanneModifieri.net. I have a store there. Nice. Just look for the links on, this, on the website. Awesome. And we'll drop it in the description of the video and the podcast as well. Absolutely. Cool. Yes, yes. Get your book. <laughs> you be a happy warrior too. Yeah, I think it definitely makes a difference, like that—the men mentality and the way you, the way you look at the world and perceive things. And and it, uh, I think that was a good reminder, you know, like the car example when somebody cuts me off. The first thing I want to do is be like, you know, f this guy. But you got to think like, hey, they're going through things too. They got their own life, and you got to remember that at times. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. I think it's you know, awesome. Yeah. So with you being happy all the time, have you ever been in a street fight growing up? <laughs> I'm not happy all the time, but um, no, I've never had any altercation outside of the gym. Just training. That's good, though. Yeah. Less distractions outside. Yeah. Probably because she's not out there picking fights with, with people who cut her off in traffic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> So a, a bit of a controversial subject right now, it seems like uh, uh, it's getting brought up. Um, there are a lot of fighters who seem to kind of fight dirty lately that they 
they eye poke, they groin kick, they grab the cage, they grab your gloves. They know they can kind of uh, push the limits a little bit before a point gets taken away. I mean, it's happening more and more every week, it seems like. Uh, what are your thoughts on people who kind of fight, fight dirty and use these tactics because they know they can get away with it a little bit? I remember somebody in the gym, too, said, you can do this because you get one morning first. And I was like, really? Um, this, I don't know. I'm a big rule follower, you know. Um, I accidentally grabbed the cage with my toes, by, but, you know, doing it on purpose is your question. Um, we're doing a sport with a set of rules. If it was the street fight, 100%, I'm going to be eye-poking people, but this is not a street fight. This is a set of rules. You have to make weight. You know, you have to follow the rules. Um, yeah, it's dirty. It's don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Boo! Yeah. So, yeah. speaking of make weight, um, you were on the Ultimate Fighter twice. How was it hard to make weight, not knowing if you were going to fight one week or the next? and always staying ready was it difficult not for me but for other people it was so for me on the first season season 18 i was i was going up a weight class um i had dropped to 125 and then i got on the season at 135 so it was pretty easy i didn't really cut weight and then the second time um i had done like a full fight camp and i when they chose teams I like ran right over to my new coaches and I said I want to fight first I'm so ready I'm ah. they're like all right all right so they let me fight first so I was all ready you know my weight was on point my cardio was on point and then so I knew that I wouldn't be fighting for another like three weeks so then as the three weeks approached I just made sure my weight was good which I'm very good about keeping my weight good like my normal diet is it is uh, set to maintain my weight and then if I have a bunch of junk food it goes up but you know my normal diet's good um, so then when I won the second fight, you know, I knew I wouldn't be fighting for another number of weeks. So actually the last fight was hard to make weight. I remember like hitting mitts with my, my coach at the time. And I was like, oh, I'm so tired of this. But so I had the fight within like a week of myself, my other fight. But, so that was, that was a challenging one. I, I did know when I was going to fight though, but just doing the weight cut so soon after the other one sucked. Was it hard living in the house with the people you were fighting and like having to get along with them, having to see them, having to talk to them, uh, and then having to go fight them? Not for me, because I pretty much get along with most people. <laughs> um, I think for other people it was more challenging, but I, I was pretty good. I liked everybody. So no issues there. Did you get in any prank wars while you were there? Um, Somebody vandalized my toilet paper man uh in season 18 and i was very sad and then they could see that i was like sad sad not like mad and then they got guilt they felt guilty <laughs> um but other than that no one i don't think people really did pranks in the season 26. yeah and i just started season 30 now someone mm -hmm. someone just got kicked off of the show because they couldn't make weight too uh, so i mean it's, it's a big issue and she was a, a lot over i don't know uh there was some yeah she had surrounding uh, it, uh, but yeah so making weight is important for sure it's unfortunate you know she thought that she could lose the weight but no way like 
it was I'm glad that they changed people. I'm glad they got somebody else because she wouldn't have made it. Yeah, she probably would have never made it. Yeah. So um, on the weight subject, um, like Charles Oliveira had the scale controversy. There's been other ones. Uh, Dustin Poirier recently said they need to switch to digital scales. Do you think the gravity scale... I feel like the gravity scale would be more accurate than the digital. I thought digital. they are more accurate. I've, I've read that I've they were. They too. Yeah. Because... Maybe you can calibrate it more frequently. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can bring a 50-pound dumbbell and stick it on there and see if it's, you know, the proper weight. But when they get on the regular scale, like the scale with all the reporters, that's the third or fourth scale that you, like, as a fighter for the UFC that you would get on, correct? Oh, you're right. So when we show up to the the fight hotel, there's the digital scale that we check our weight on. So I always bring my own scale that I can take to my bathroom, but I go and set it next to the digital scale and I compare my little crappy scale to their more professional digital scale. But you're right, at the end of the day, we are being weighed on the you know, doctor's scale. What if the doctor's scale is not matched up with the, I just assume that it's gonna be matched up with the digital scale. So that was the issue with Oliveira, I believe, and that's like, crap. Uh, yeah, I don't, that's... Do you think he like, should have been stripped because of that? I mean, obviously it's part of the job description to make weight, but... Um, getting tough, sorry. Yeah. No, if he made weight, he shouldn't be stripped. But what I heard, well, I don't know if it's official, I heard that they, he weighed it, he weighed in, and then they were like, wait, it's not calibrated, but he had already started drinking, so then made him go cut again. Oh. But, um, yeah, so after we weigh in, they say, okay, you're goodbye. So then we just walk off and start drinking. I wonder if if they had us sign something to confirm, yes, I made weight. So that way we have the contract, like, sorry, I just signed this paper that you guys endorsed that said I made weight. Like, maybe they can add that in there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, maybe, I guess. Kind of I wouldn't mind that, you know, <laughs> as a fighter. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Because, like, I remember for Invicta, there was the commission. We did early weigh-ins. There was a commission. They watched us. They're like, okay, step on the scale. I stepped on the scale. You made weight. Okay, you're good to drink. And I'm like, are you sure? They're like, yeah. I'm like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll drink now. Like, I was kind of uncertain whether I was able to start drinking or not, right? So there could be an added step in there. That would be great. Nice. Good thought. Good thought. Yeah. I yeah, would like to try and touch on current topics and, and semi-controversial ones just to get other people's opinions and just just because they're so widely talked about, it seems like. Yeah. Another one I have is uh, open scoring has always been brought up. I believe Invicta tried it a few times when they had shows in Kansas City. Uh, I think what, they're still doing it. Are they? What are your thoughts? Do you think? Because I know Dana White has said he's afraid if they adopt the open scoring, if you're up two rounds, you're not going to try. You're just going to coast. What are your thoughts on having open scoring in the UFC? I feel like that's not going to happen because, um, I mean, I think that the fighters are not going to coast. Like fights have been all right. I feel like fights have been changing. Like 
it used to be maybe like 10 years ago, if they took them down, they might lay and pray. Have you ever seen any lay in, laying and praying recently? Like you're aware of that term, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I've never, like in the past like five years, I've never seen that. Everyone's scrambling, everyone's jujitsu is good. Like people are escaping, people are scrambling. If one guy's up and he wants to coast, the other guy is going to be like, oh my God, I have to knock this guy out in order to get the win. They're going to be fighting hard. And then if the other guy runs away, he's going to get a stalling penalty, right? So. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. It takes two to tango, you know? Um, someone's going to be fighting their butt off and someone's going to be trying to win. I think they're all, I don't think it's going to, plus if you look at Invicta, they're doing it and it's the test and everyone's still fighting super hard, right? Like I've never, you know, now it just takes away the guesswork. Like, oh gosh, did I win the round? Mm -hmm. I mean, Cause there's a lot of times, surprise, like, <laughs> like Rose Namajunas, you know, her corner was like, You've won that round. You won that round, and then she ended up losing. And so, if you look up and you're like, "Okay, you know, judges said you lost that round, so now you, let's change our game plan." I think it'd be more interesting—not interesting, but it'd be more adaptable. And the fighter, you could see how the fighters' fight IQ is, and not just going in there trying to knock someone out. And I think even now, if a fighter thinks they win. Well, not even. Like, if I think I'm up, I'm still going to fight just as hard as I did before. Like, I would never coast. Mm -hmm. um, if you're winning, you probably are feeling great and want to, like, hit him more. So I think that's not, you know, the case with what he said. Yay, open scoring! Go, go, go! <laughs> I think open scoring or automated scoring would be, would be a good adaption. Get the human error out. Automated. I don't know if, if they would would go for that. I mean, they probably do have some uh, automated scoring at some point, like where a computer uh, calculates the number of punches and kicks thrown. Do, do you think there's any technology used like that? Um, Bella, uh, what is BF, PFL? They might be using really some technology. I had heard of that. Big on their their scoring system and their their. Uh, their cage view, what do they call it? I forget what they have. Like, oh yeah, I don't know. Uh, where they look through the cage, and um, so I think they're they they're using a lot of technology uh, to try and uh, bring it into the ring. But so I think maybe others might get on board with that too eventually. So, what are your thoughts on uh, Jake Paul? Yeah, He's eating people up, right? <laughs> I mean. Unless everyone's taking a dive, I haven't really watched the fights because I don't want to pay for them. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Me, me. But I mean, if he's legitimately beating people up, cool. That's what the fight world is, you know. Anyone mm -hmm. can win at any given time. And what do you think um, his thoughts of fighter pay? Because he's a huge advocate to pay the fighters more and keeps. You know. Yeah, I think that all fighters should try to get more pay. But I also see it from the point of the company, too. Like, it's not – so we're independent – fighters are independent contractors, and it's not the responsibility of the company to make sure we have, you know, as much as the champion. Like, the more eyes you bring to the promotion, the more money you make them, the more you should be paid. So I understand if undercard fighters aren't making as much just because they're not as popular yet, you know. So I get it. But, uh, I got injury. I got insurance when I hurt my knee in training. That was pretty cool. So I had to pay a big deductible. Um, but you know, the UFC helped me with that, so that was cool. And I know other promotions probably might not, but mm -hmm. this is our choice too. It's not like someone's twisting our arm and saying, "Get in that freaking cage!" Like it's my choice to be a fighter. You know, we love it, so that's why we do it. So 
right. the way it goes. But, you know, I would love a union. I would love all that. Like, that would be great. For sure. Do you think Jake, Jake Paul could help with that? Do you think... Do you think what he's doing is even doing any good, or do you think he's he's really like advocating for them, or do you think he's just trying to bring more attention to himself, um, just to kind of keep himself in the spotlight? Say, hey, look at me, I'm Jake Paul, I'm fighting for you, you know? Or um, I think both. I think that people are listening because he's Jake Paul and making noise. I think he's bringing attention to himself, and he's bringing attention to this issue. So that's really great of him to do that on all on all accounts. Cool. Thanks, Jake Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jake Paul. I guess. So, what do you think about the Cain Velasquez situation? Are you familiar with it? Yeah, man, he should have like dragged the guy out of the car and beat him up with his fist, <laughs> his ass or something. Yeah, right. Like, I'm totally in support of old school. Like, you hurt my family, I'm gonna beat you up. But right. sure. You shot the wrong guy, right? That's unfortunate. So I don't know. I, I hope that, you know, it's such a terrible thing that happened to his daughter. And I hope that, you know, his lawyers help him get off lightly. For sure. Yeah, my heart goes out to him. Yeah. It's definitely a, a crappy situation. Yeah. It sucks. But it's, it seems like it's like one of the most popular conversation topics in MMA still. It's been months and months and months, but... Yeah. And unfortunately, what is happening with him now is going to take away from all the good that he did in the wrestling community and and the UFC. So with that, what do your what do you feel like you want your legacy to be? Um, I want to be remembered as a martial artist, you know, who just worked really hard and wasn't athletically gifted, you know, and just worked hard and had a good adventure and with that we have one more thing to ask uh do you have any sponsors that you would like to give a shout out to or give thanks to yeah uh x marshall uh xmarshall.com is my gi sponsor my, my um my excuse me rash guard and clothing sponsor they're awesome they have a lot of cool stuff that let you show your personality also my consumer it is um a internet service provider company they've helped me a lot and sponsored me and they're good they're pretty good they do a lot of like server and security things for people with online companies nice we like it stuff so yeah. that's cool awesome yeah, yeah we're, we're both uh programmers so oh cool yeah we're really lucky excellent was that all your sponsors did you have any more uh those are the two that are sponsoring me right now so sweet yes Cool, cool. I'm sure we could keep you here all day and ask you a million questions, but we've all got a ton of other stuff to do. I've got to go train, and uh, you know, you, but we uh, we really appreciate you being on the show and taking time out of your day to, to get to know you a little bit better, to, to let the fans know more info about you. Uh, so we really appreciate you being here. So thank you so much. You're thank very you. welcome. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. At any closing thoughts from you? I just want to say, uh, you know, thanks for taking your time. Uh, if you want to be a happy warrior like Roxanne, you know, go to RoxanneModifery.net. Get her book. If you have kids that you want to get into jujitsu, you're now training 
uh, bigger kids, correct? Or little kids? I, I read your I'm article. I'm older know. kids, uh, 7 to 12 at older Tribe kids. Vegas. So thank you very much and hope you have a wonderful day. Yeah, yeah. Hit that subscribe button as well. <laughs> Another episode of Two Dudes in a Cage, Fighter Spotlight, Roxanne Montefiore. Thank you all for joining us.